How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220, or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. On this week's show, champion Northwest soccer player Braden Mann, who's a classic example of what you see isn't always what you get. And like so many people that come on the podcast, uh, sometimes when these people look uh, very brash and cocky and confident on the outside, as Braden admits he does look sometimes on the pitch, you just don't know what people are going through behind uh, behind closed doors, and he certainly has had his challenges over his time. So we talk a lot about his own mental health journey. Um, we talk about lessons that he learnt through his life, um, especially through being bullied at a very young age uh, when he went away to school and it made him reflect on how his behavior previously towards others uh, may have affected them so a lot of good lessons there talks about his lowest points including when his mental health got really really bad um, not helped by when he was down in Hobart playing soccer someone made up a social media account uh, originally set up as a appreciation page which just ended up being a lot of abuse hurled at him so uh, had that to contend with on top of his own mental health journey and and how he dealt with that and uh, how it actually turned out is a story that uh, that needs to be heard he talks about moving back to the northwest coast to be closer to family and how much their support uh, meant to him around his journey um, and obviously with uh, with being such a successful soccer player, we talk about a lot of his great successes that he's had on the pitch, uh, mainly with Alveston, Devonport and South Hobart. Braden's open and honest about his journey, like so many people are that come on the pod, um, and he talks about what worked well for him and what didn't, and hopefully uh, people get a lot of good messages out of it. G'day everybody, welcome back to the Talk Hard Podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Briley. I'm Sonny. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I get a phone call basically saying, Dad's not it. This sit-down lawnmower is like about three metres long. By the time I was finished with it, it was about half a metre. A fully grown man sleeping with the light on. Shit scared. He's come out my car with an angle grinder before. Just, yeah, it's just such an important thing for so many people. And I thought, holy shit, I'm going to get delisted next. Tomorrow, like, that's kind of put a line through me. So that's why checking in on your mate or your son or your daughter or your player or your coach or whoever it is, you become the side. I just let them know that, you know, it's tough, but we're tougher. And he just wrapped those big arms he's got around me and just said, mate, like, we'll work through this together. Like, I absolutely love you. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinks. Braden, man, welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast, mate. Thanks, Brendan. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Uh, all the better for talking to you, mate. It's been a while. I've had you on my list for a little while, but um, it just took a little while to to get to you. But um, it's probably probably a good time that I got you while you're injured, because um, I, as I said, I had a bit of bit of trouble catching up with you. But now it's um, you got plenty of time on your hands, haven't you? Yeah, you got uh, got a, got a fair bit of time on my hands now. Not much not much going on in this house, so just yeah. uh, just trying to recover and heal up, mate. Yeah. Yeah, tell people what you're battling at the moment, mate. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I've got a bit of a hip injury at the moment. I had to have uh, hip arthroscopy because uh, I had a torn labrum and uh, and a cam impingement in my hip. Yep. Um, but it got pretty bad while I was over in over in Tassie. I was on a, on a golf trip down Bamboo with a few boys and 
and ended up uh, having to cut the cut the trip short in the in, a, in the ambulance ride to the long test in general. So that wasn't real fun. <laughs> Were you winning, mate? When you had to cut the? Did you cut finish your I round? Actually, or? I actually, I surprisingly played very well considering I couldn't get couldn't bend over to to read my putts. So I was <laughs> I was pretty happy with the way I played. I was actually a bit disappointed at the leave, to be honest. Yeah, it's always a way that you're finally striking them all right, mate. And then you got to cut it short. That's it. It's always a way with golf when you're hitting a well, something happens. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I wouldn't know what that's like, mate, because I don't know that I've ever really hit a well. So, but I keep going back every now and again. So I'm just a hack. Yeah, it's just it's just that one good shot that keeps coming back. So you know, that's yep. the same with me. I'm a bit of a hack, but you know, I enjoy getting out with the boys and and the scenery more than anything. It was beautiful down Bamboo, but yeah, I was a bit disappointed to have to cut it short because of the old hip. Yeah. Now, p- tell people, mate, the, the hip's been a, a bit of a long story. Tell people how it actually came about because you were a little bit ginger going into the golf game, weren't you? Well, yeah. So, originally, the the hip trouble started when I was in Fiji and I had a few too many cocktails and they pulled out the limbo stick and I think I went trying to go a little bit too low and, yeah, I felt, felt something go on the hip and <laughs> came back and... And then try to try to train from pre-season, and I was I was no good. So I think it was yeah, the old limbo did it for me. But yeah. So no how good. do you go? How do you go about explaining that to your coaches that it was a limbo incident? Yeah, look, it was a pretty difficult dis- discussion when I came back to pre-season. The first session, I'm already injured. And he said, "What? How did you do it?" And I said, "Oh." Oh, I'm still in a limbo in Fiji. He kind of looked at me pretty strange. He goes, oh, well, he goes, that's probably better than most excuses. So we'll let it slip. <laughs> Do you reckon he believed you? I think he did, yeah. He yeah. believed me. But um, it's a pretty pretty unique story to, to have done it with a with a limbo. And, yeah, but uh, it, was, it was a good trip away in Fiji. But, yeah, that was probably a – I won't be doing a limbo again. I think I'm retired from that. Oh, well, like I said, mate, like, as I said, we've got, to, I've got you at a good time. So, obviously, you're not going to run out the door and uh, go to training or anything like that. So, you've got plenty of time to have a chat. So, I, I knew a little bit about your story, mate. I sort of followed you on social media and that sort of stuff. And, and a lot of people will know, you know, again, about with a lot of people that come on the podcast, they know about things that you can see on the outside and your sporting achievements and things like that. But with you, I knew that there always was a little bit of a backstory there and a few things that you'd sort of battled um, off the pitch, so to speak. It's good. I'm being very blessed to have a have a good good career in sport. So you know, it's led me to a lot of good places, but also a lot of a lot of darker times as well. You know, outside yeah. of that as well. Yeah, and we'll work our way through those, mate, and some of the lessons and things that you've learnt along the way. But take us back to the start, mate. So, Bernie boy. Yeah, well, born in Bernie. Yeah, yep. I actually grew up in grew up in Alveston, but yeah, born in the Bernie Hospital. You know, the youngest youngest son of um, my mum, Phil and Sharon, and and yeah, had. An older brother and two older sisters, so I was the baby in the family. Yep, yep. Did they sort of treat you like the baby, mate, or did they knock you about and toughen you up? Or oh, they always thought I got um got favoured like the baby, but um <laughs> I thought I was the favourite one. But uh, no, me, well, me and my brother were very competitive growing up, so we were best mates and still are. But um, yep. yeah, we played a lot of cricket and footy growing up, but, uh, you know, and competitive in the back. Backyard, you know, a lot of fights, a lot of um, you know, cricket bats being thrown at each other after after getting each other out. But yeah, it's um, oh, I've been blessed to have a have a really good family. You know, I was, I was very very lucky to be born into the family that I am, and um, you know, appreciate them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it does does help when you're when you're a young person to have sort of um siblings around the, the same age to compete against because it sort of yeah, fuels that competitive fire, doesn't it? And obviously people listening will a lot of people will know your brother Callan from his, his football career and you know, just his um identity on the coast as well. He's obviously had some great achievements himself. So he had a pretty good pretty good mentor there. He wouldn't have been any slouch, I wouldn't have thought. No, that's right. He's a, you know, he he was pretty good to me back in the in the backyard. He used to get me out probably five times before he'd, you know, <laughs> say, Oh, you're actually out, you know. He'd say, No, one more, one more, but he'd keep bowling and bowling to yep. me. So you know, it's probably probably the reason why I'm actually, you know, okay with the with the cricket bat anyway. <laughs> yeah. He just bowled for hours against me and then I think he'd get sick of it and go, Well, I'm either going inside or you're bowling to me. So I was like, Oh, <laughs> right, I'll bowl. <laughs> Better mix it up a bit. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so, did did sport always play a big role in your life, mate? When you were a young fella, were you were you sort of sport yeah. man from the start? When I when I was younger, I was like obsessed with sport. You know, I'd be in the backyard if I wasn't playing sport. You know, I was always thinking about it or watching it or you know whatever. Um, my, my dad was you know a decent decent sportsman growing up. I think he played squash and cricket and you know played a lot of things, but not never at a you know a really high level, but. Um, I was always, always just super interested in it. Was a was a massive bomber supporter, huge Matty Lloyd supporter. So I get in the backyard and mimic him, and you know. So I, I grew up playing, actually playing Aussie Rules. Um, yep. Yeah, always sport obsessed, cricket, footy, and then it was only later when I when I really got um, introduced to soccer, um, you know, at school that I, that I turned to playing soccer. Yeah. Yep. So why why the change? Like, why did you decide to switch over to soccer? Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, I, I was probably grade two, I think. Um, yep. And a lot of my, my a lot of my school friends were were playing soccer. You know, they were all playing soccer. Um, yep. No one was really playing footy because um, I went to Lowland, so we didn't have like a, a footy team or anything there. Um, and and so yeah, I, I changed changed from from footy a few re- a few reasons because. Footy was on Sunday, um, so I, I grew up, you know, I'm a Christian man, um, grew up in a Christian family, so we had church on Sunday. So Dad wanted to go to church on Sundays, um, and soccer was on Saturday morning, so it just worked out a lot easier anyway. So when I told them I wanted to kind of play soccer with my school friends, they were like, yeah, no worries, let's, let's do that and, you know, we'll give, give footy a miss. But still absolutely love footy, you know, even still to this day, massive bomber supporter, but, um, yeah, just, just kind of, yeah, wanted to go to try something different, and you know, probably in the end, really lucky I did because you know, soccer's taken me to so many amazing places, um, yep. you know, overseas and 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 here as well. I've, I've achieved so much, so um, you know, I don't really look back on it with any kind of regret. But you know, I, you know, I was still still a talented footy player as well, so it was yep. pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so obviously you you say that you you love Aussie rules. There would have always been a chance to to go back to it. But what what do you love about soccer? Like what what sort of why did that sort of overtake Aussie rules for you? If you could pinpoint it, what's your what's your passion about soccer? Well, I remember in high school grade seven, I went to um, I actually played footy for Penguin for a bit because yep. feel like we started like a school team. So I went back yep. there for a bit, and, um, but then I just I don't know, I just. I was playing really well with the footy team, you know, I was enjoying myself, good bunch of boys and, you know, playing really well, but just something was missing from me. I just, you know, I couldn't, I didn't feel the same as soccer. I just had to go back and, um, so I went back to soccer a few games into the footy season. It's like, nah, I'm going to go back and play soccer. And, and then that's kind of was actually probably the year where it kind of really kick started for me 
um, in terms of like really progressing to like the higher levels of of the state team, of the you know I was playing for the Northwest team, then obviously the state team were looking at me, TIS, all that. So in the end, I think you know I was pretty lucky, um, and maybe that's fate. Maybe that's what um, you know little moments like that where you kind of think maybe I should go back, and you do, and then you know it all kind of works out for you. It's like you know maybe that was actually my moment and what I needed to do in that time. You know? Yeah. And and you say that um you know you had had a lot of success so you were playing at um at representative level really quickly weren't you? Yeah, so I played representative uh, for the northwest from under tens through to I think <laughs> under fourteens um, yep. was doing that. But yeah, so I played played for a while for the northwest you know a long time. But I remember even my first you know first couple of years in the northwest team I hardly played and they played me as a as a defender and I was never a defender but I. You know, we had the same coach for a, for a couple of years, and um, you know, and I would sit on the bench, and I remember my dad asking me, "He's like, do you really want to keep playing soccer? Do you want to go back to footy because you're not getting much of a go with the Northwest team?" You know, and I just said, "I absolutely love representing like the Northwest coach. Like, I, I love it. Like, I and I want to, I don't care if I'm on the bench. I just like I love doing it. So, yep. Um, so I stuck with it, and you know, and then like I said, you know. It, it just turned around for me. You know, I think the the trip away to to Newcastle was probably the first t- turning point for me in, in terms of the Northwest representative. Um, the first kind of turning point for me to be seen as a really top player in Tasmania that kind of snowballed me into a into into the player I am, I guess today. Yeah. So tell tell us about that trip to Newcastle. Was that <clears throat> excuse me? Was that the first one where you got the opportunity to play as a striker? Was that the one that you were telling me about? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So that was that, that was the first opportunity I got to play as a striker for the Northwest team, pretty much. Um, so we went away to Newcastle. I remember all yep. the boys excited trip. The girls teams were there, so we we're all pretty excited to be there. And everyone's <laughs> trying to trying to flirt with everyone. You know, as little kids, you know, we were really yep. excited. How old um, were you, mate? I think I was 13, I think, at the time, yeah. So oh, you were just 13. hitting your prime. <laughs> yeah, hitting my prime, mate. That's when I started getting interested in girls before <laughs> they didn't care about them, but, you know. Yeah. And um, so we, we were there away. Boys were enjoying themselves. But we went uh, we went to the um, yeah Newcastle play there. And and um, in the first game, I think it was our, our big striker, Elliot Stewart. Um, a few people were knowing from cricket and stuff like that yeah. now. And... Um, he 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 done his hamstring, so he was our main weapon. He was he was our go-to guy, and so we had 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 a had a meeting, and the coach had a meeting with, with my best mate Joel Stone, and he was captain at the time. And and and, and Joel, fortunately enough, um, had my back a bit, and he, I think he knew I want to play up front, and he said, "No, nah, put put uh, put Braden up front," and um, and then the next game I, I played up front and I scored. I think I scored two goals in that game, and then the next game scored again, and and then scored I think again after that, and was I like, had a really really good um really good little tournament up there. I think from from that moment got invited to the state team, but um my parents didn't want to want to pay for me to go to the state team the next year. It was quite quite expensive. Um yep. so so that's when I played yeah started playing for Olves in under 18s and um yeah for the for the Northwest team again, so that was a, yep. and that ended up being a really good year for me anyway. Yep, I mean, we'll talk about that year in a second because yeah, I, I just wanted to get into that with you because you did you know show a lot of you know really good promise playing against much older players. But you know, I just wanted to touch on something that you said there before. Where 
um, sorry that you sent through to me, that um, when you were younger, you said that your your parents uh, moved to a care home and actually became foster carers. Is that correct? Yeah, so that was pretty crazy as well, growing up in a in a foster care home um, yep. with my own family and then, you know, having, you know, you could have two or three different kids in every week um, coming in and obviously they were pretty troubled as well. So that, that was a good experience to, to kind of, um, I suppose, get to meet a lot of troubled kids that you kind of wouldn't be used to and um, you get to connect with them and still to this day there's plenty of kids that I'm uh, people who I know from from that care home who you know I I can still talk to on Facebook or whatever so yep um yeah it was pretty interesting thing to grow up in you know with with a lot of care kids did um and you said you had about 150 foster kids come through the house is that right yeah, over over about a ten year period, we had about yeah, 100, 150. So wow. mum and dad, you know, absolute legends for doing that and you know to to look after that many. But um, it was yeah, pretty pretty interesting time. Like I said you had could have like two or three different kids, and obviously a lot of them like highly troubled. So you know, it was you seen some pretty interesting things that that went on in like now at care home and whatever. But a lot of it was very um, actually a lot of it was a was a positive experience, and yeah, a lot of the kids actually left. Um, I suppose with a greater appreciation of mum and dad and still talk to mum and dad these days. Yep. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for what they did for him. So, yep. um, yeah. And obviously like my, my, my adopted brother and sister and, and, and another adopted brother, Jared, um, came, came through there as well. So with us since they were, you know, three and four all the way through, through their whole life. So, yep. um, yeah, pretty crazy, but. Yeah, very very busy and noisy household to go on. I reckon. But, but um, yeah, it was a it was a really really good experience to, to to grow up in that. Yeah. And how many kids would they have there, like at at one time? So how how busy did it get? Well, well, I think the maximum they probably had was um, six, I think, as well with us. Yeah, with us kids, so what ten ten kids in the house at the time. So bloody hell. Yeah, busy household. <laughs> it was a big house, big house, yeah. but it was. And um, and with a massive backyard, which we loved because we could go and play sport in there, and uh, with a lot of room to to play cricket and footy in. So it was yeah. good, but yeah, yeah, very busy, very hectic, and obviously a lot of the kids were coming very troubled. And from the experiences that they'd already had previous, which was very sad, some of them, you know, even some babies coming in sometimes, you know, they're only three months old. So yeah, um, yeah, pretty pretty sad, but um, but also very you know humbling kind of thing to grow up in. And, and gave you a lot more appreciation for the things that you do have. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you, do you feel? Do you sort of reflect back on that sometimes now as a as an adult and sort of think? Does it did it sort of shape any of your thoughts about the world, or did you sort of learn much through that experience? Or? Yeah, for sure. I think um, you know I've got a, a greater um, respect and and um, I suppose understanding of what people go through. You know, even from a young and how what they go through at a younger age actually can affect them as an adult. Mm. Um, and, and we see that with a lot of lot of the care, even like with my adopted brother and sister, you know what they go through now, and some of the things they're involved in now, how that's been affected by how they, they even just in a few months or few years that they grew up early on can change yeah. their whole life and how change their whole um, their whole I suppose mindset on things in life. Mm. Um, so it, it definitely gives you a greater I suppose respect and, and understanding of everyone, and I suppose you realise. Like, you know, people go through different things, and um, I'm no one to judge anyone's upbringing or anyway how the way they are because 
a lot of that they don't, they can't control. Um, That's right. And yeah. so yeah, so this yeah, you get a lot more of respect and understanding of you know each person's story is different. So don't be too quick to judge or quick to to put someone down because you know. It, a lot of that is probably not their their own own control. Obviously, you're in control of your, yourself, but um, a lot of their own the way their brain ticks is actually from them first few years of developing and what they've actually gone through. Because mm, I, I, I might have mentioned it on previous podcasts and stuff. Like I've, I've sort of done a bit of study in that side as well, and they say that those early years that's your programming, isn't it? So it's really hard to to break those cycles and, and it's a hundred percent what you say. Like a lot of people look at the look at the behaviour or the response to a certain situation, think, geez, you know, he's flipping out or he's carrying on a bit or whatever, but you don't realise the certain triggers and things that they've had over their lives. And uh, and, yeah. and you know, like like, you know, the I suppose the the general person walking down the street has had a completely different upbringing than some of these kids that you've seen through that home, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's right, and that's why, like, and even during school years and stuff like that, you know, you know, kids get bullied or whatever, but they um they don't know any different. They don't know like the the story behind it. They're not taught, you know, that, that they could be going through something different at home. So, yep, um, it is pretty sad. And then I suppose a lot of the kids that came in care were a lot of the time was because of their families couldn't look after them or whatever. So that obviously creates a lot of hurt in their heart even being there you know a lot of them come very cold and don't want to talk because of the things they've been through and you know feeling abandoned by their own family and stuff like that so it was kind of I suppose that's why it was rewarding to kind of give them that comfort and kind of once they opened up it was really good to kind of see them you know smile and you know the kids go through that you know to to be able to open up to you and become good friends with the, the kids in there and and kind of you could see their face change from the first day they were there to, you know, when they left, how they didn't want to leave because, you know, the way they're smiling and, and enjoying themselves. So, yeah, that's why it was, I suppose, so rewarding to, to be a part of that and to, to grow up in that kind of, um, I suppose, family and in the way we grow up, grew up. Yep. Did you find that some of them were hard to crack or did you have a strategy to sort of build oh, yeah. relationships with them? Or? Yeah. Uh, even my adopted brother, um, it was pretty sad, actually, Jared, when he first came in, he... Um, he couldn't. He couldn't even say his own name. He didn't know what his name was. He called himself Boy. Like you know, he, he didn't. He talked. Like called himself Boy. He couldn't. Didn't know like what what kind of food was. Like you know, he, all he ate was you know, pretty poor stuff. So, um, yeah, that like learning a lot of kids came in like that. Like just you know, they're very hard and very hard to crack. Um, and I just remember him being yeah very. Especially him, you know, because I've known him for so. And if you saw the difference now, and you know, he's going into the navy now, and yep, over in Perth, and he's becoming becoming a seaman, you know, he needs to change. He's got a girlfriend, got, got a girlfriend, and you know, completely changed his life around. But even then, with him, he went through. We, we looked after him for a long time, but even during his teenage years, when we all do, we hit that stage where we, you know, become a bit different. You know, you're going through all these different hormones and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, especially for him, it hits him harder. So he went through a pretty difficult part, you know, a, a difficult path um, in his teenage years. But then again, came out of that as a as a much much stronger and, and, and better person for it. So you know, he's a real testament to you know how you can change your life around no matter what the circumstance. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to your mum and dad too. And I think it's a really good message of because I've done a little bit of work in the youth work space and work with kids at risk and in the child protection system and and that sort of thing. And there's always a massive need out there for foster carers. And I think you know just that story and just what you've told there is just how 
what an impact that you can have. So, you know, again, I'd say if anyone's listening that considered that sort of thing and going into foster caring, I'd encourage them to, to, to look further into it and get some more information because there is such a big need out there, isn't there? Oh, of course, there's a massive need and I'd be the same. You know, I think when when I've got kids of my own, you know, something I'd be definitely be open to is to, to, to be in a foster care because I think we need we need more and good foster carers too. You know, it's easy to put your hand up to be a foster carer, but you have to be someone who's willing to, to put up with a lot and go through a lot. You know, at home, my mum and dad had a few times where they got called by the cops because people would escape down the house and, you know, go on yep. and started stealing cars and stuff like that. But you've got to be prepared for that. You've got to be prepared to, um, to you know, I suppose overcome that to, to change someone's life. You know, you're not, mm. you're not, it's not going to be like, you know, it's not always going to be easy. It's not going to be like a, like a normal family kind of in that kind of way. You're going to have to be prepared to, to try and um, encourage them and, and change their life. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to go through. I think it's obviously it's not, not easy, but you know, I think it's something that's really rewarding and something that can change a lot of people's lives and uh, for the better. This episode of the pod's proudly brought to you by J Beck Mechanical Repairs. With the ever-rising cost of living, we're all looking for ways to save a few bucks so you can spend it in the areas that you love. One area JBEC can help you is with the rising cost of fuel prices, why not remap your vehicle to gain more power and better fuel economy through their chip tuning service? Chip tuning can be done on many vehicles, including various trucks and tractors, and conditions apply. With over 30 years combined experience in small engine cars and diesel engines, Jade and his team are qualified in both diesel and petrol vehicles. They offer a mobile field service unit, including breakdown services, all mechanical repairs, engine rebuilds, as well as aircon and auto electrical services. To find out more, just find JBEC Mechanical Repairs on Facebook, email jbeckinvestments at gmail.com, or call or text 0492 594 058. Tell them Brendan sent you for a free cuddle, and trust me, that's better than a handshake because Jade's fingers will crush you. JBEC Mechanical Repairs, offering chip tuning. Unleash the power within. <laughs> So back onto the field, mate. So you were playing against under 18s as a 14 year old. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, so, and dominating. If that's correct. Yeah. Well, well, I went, went well. Um, so yeah, I remember turning up to preseason. Um, yeah. As a, as a, what, for your 14 year old. And, and I think they thought I was going to be too young. I think they had to get a clearance for me to play because yep. I, I turned up as a 14-year-old and I think a few of the older boys were like, this kid's not going to play. And I think then when I started training, I think, I think they realised, oh, we can actually play a bit. So we might, you know, might keep him in. And I remember playing my first game was against Lonnie City. Um, and we went, we were, we were away down there and I played it right back, which was actually such a good experience for me because I'm, I'm obviously a striker, but I think because I was so small then and didn't have probably the power that, you know, needed to be a striker um, at that age, um, playing as a right back, I, I actually learned the defensive mindset of players. So then when I became, when I started going back to my natural position, I could use that against defenders and go, okay, well, what didn't I like as a defender? Well, this is what I'm going to do as a striker to kind of counteract that and, and make it harder for them. So yep. well, it was re- was really good, but um. Yeah, had a really good year there in under 18s and obviously still played the Northwest team on the side. Um, but just even the physicality, being up against bigger bodies just turned me into, you know, gave me that, um, stronger mindset to be like, I can play against bigger bodies. I, you know, I can, can be tough, can hold my own. And I suppose that really strengthened me in, in, in a way to, to become the, the aggressive kind of striker that I am. You know, I'm not, not, not the tallest or biggest player, but I can hold my own against the bigger body. So, you know, I yep. kind of learnt that back then in that, in that year. 
And um, and you came second in the league best and fairest. Is that right that year? Yeah. So I remember, yeah. like, I, I, ne- I didn't go there because I didn't think I was going to win anything because, well, you know, I never haven't been told or anything like that. But yeah, I remember a couple of my friends that who were there. They're going, "Oh, you've just come come second in the the best and fairest." And I was <laughs> like, "Well, I didn't expect it, especially the fourteen year old." But um, yeah. So I actually ended up playing striker at the back end of that year because one of our strikers got injured. So I ended up getting to play a little bit of striker and scored a few goals actually. But um, yeah, it was it was a really good experience and played played very well. But I think maybe as well the rest probably saw me and was like, "Oh, he's only fourteen. Let's give him votes." You know, <laughs> probably oh, right. probably more that. That's what I reckon. I mean, when you see a young kid who's holding his own, you're probably going, to, "Oh, geez, he probably deserves a couple of votes." And then by the end of the season, probably tallied up. But um. But I reckon, I you're, pretty, I reckon well. you're pretty humble, mate. I reckon they they would have give you the votes for a reason. I reckon you're playing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But it was like I said, it was good to play with older boys, and, and you know, you go on your bus trips away and stuff like that as a fourteen year old. So it's a whole yep. new experience, and you get to, <laughs> you know, you're the youngest one, so they're always looking at almost like bigger brothers, like they're looking after you, and you know, yep. all of that. So it was, um, yeah, it's such a good experience to 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 do that as a as an as a as a fourteen year old playing in under eighteen. Yeah. And at that age as well, I, I want to ask you the question. This probably comes as a bit of an interesting one, but obviously at that age, you, like you, you were saying there before with, with your brother and stuff, you're sort of going through your own hormone changes and things like that as well. And sometimes it's hard to control your emotions and how you react to things. Did it affect your personality at all, actually having success so early? Like, did, did you develop like a bit of confidence or cockiness or arrogance or anything like that as a young person? Yeah, I think I did. I, obviously, I, I mean, I was always pretty confident, pretty cocky, especially like even at school, like always playing sport and whatever. But um, I think a little bit what humbled me actually when I first moved to uh, moved to Hobart the first time for TIS because I was by myself. Yep. I went to when I went to I went to school down there and I actually got bullied a little bit down there. Um, yep. So I was a northwest coaster and you know a bit of a, they caught see me as like a bit of a bogan or whatever. You know, they, yep. I don't know what they. You know, they um they gave me a bit of a bit of bit of shit and and bullied me a bit down there. And I think when I came back to school after that, to my friends, kind of realised, you know, maybe maybe I um maybe I should change the way I am a little bit because maybe I was doing a bit of that to some people back at school. So you know, it is very humbling sometimes to go. So maybe that's what I needed. But yeah, there's definitely I think there's definitely was an element to me in that teenage year when I'm starting to get really good and knowing I'm getting good too like and I'm just constantly working on it and I was training all the time in the backyard or at the pitch whatever always you know working on something penalties free kicks whatever um always doing something I think I started to realize I'm getting good but then you know that kind of gave me the attitude where I did get a bit you know a bit cocky even with it when I was playing under 18s like I wouldn't be scared to to give them a bit of shit chat you know give them a bit of you know I'm you know I'm better than you if they started talking to me like that then I've always been someone who's willing to stand up for myself. So maybe a little bit too much when I was growing up, I think. Yep. Well, but that's scared. Yeah, but you get humbled you, and, and, and you go through things that, that humble you in that way and, and soon shoot you down if you're, you're getting a bit too big for your boots. So, Life's got a yeah. funny way of doing that, doesn't it? That's right. <laughs> that's right. It definitely yeah. has. And it's definitely yeah. done it to me a few times. So Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned there before, so after that year of um, of under-18s on the coast, you, you moved down to, to Hobart. So you moved down there specifically to play soccer, did you? Yeah, so I only moved down there for the Tasmanian Institute of Sport. So after the year with Olverson in the under-18s and after yep. the Northwest Coast, I had a really good year, won the Golden Boots in both the Hobart and Launceston Cups. And we won the, the Launceston Cup in a penalty shootout. It was crazy. Like it was yep. a really, really good moment. I scored a hat-trick in the final. Like it was 
really, um, really good. But then I met with my TIS coach, Bruce Stow, and they said, we want you down at the Institute of Sport. Um, come down and, you know, move down and, and we're going to develop into a good footballer. So moved down there to live with my auntie. It was at school. So it was really hard. I suppose it's, well, it's only, yeah, what, 15 at the time. To grow, I was supposed to go down there by myself and live by myself pretty much. I was with my auntie, but you know, obviously with no, no, my immediate family. Yep. Um, yeah, that was, that was super hard to go through, you know, and obviously getting, getting bullied down there when I was at school. Um, I went through a, a few different things, um, you know, in growing up, even, you know, being in the teenage years as well, like going, going down there and having to catch the red line bus back home and be on the bus for three and a half hours. And then and when I had to leave to go back to, to Hobart, I remember just being like almost in tears on the bus going back going, oh, shit, I hate, you know, I hate leaving my family. I hate, but I knew the TIS was good for me because I had some really good coaches. I had Ken Morton, who was the assistant coach, who's, who's the um, head coach of South Hobart now. Um, and I think that whole experience of being an institute of sport, pretty much being a, a full-time footballer, um, kind of shaped me to be, yeah, to, to, to be the player I am. You know, there's a lot of the things I went through then, you know, shaped me. And even as a person to go through all of that by myself, kind of hardened me to be, you know, to grow up quickly. You have to, you have to, you know, when you're putting, kind of, I suppose, putting the deep end like that, mm. um, you're by yourself, no family, you know, you, you, you soon have to, to get, get, get on with it and, and learn to adapt to your, to, to your surroundings and, and the, the way that it's going. You know, you can't just sit there and be sad all the time. You're going to go, all right, I'm, I'm going to get this done. I don't care about school. I'm going to get my work done. I'm going to go to training, get that done and, you know, and keep trying to get better. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. We try to wrap our kids in cotton wool these days, but sometimes you, you've got to sort of throw them into the frying pan, don't you, and see how they go. Well, that's right. And I, I think, um, you know, maybe like it, it – it, I was very fortunate to, to, to do that. You know, I think that definitely shaped me into the person that I am because obviously, like I said, I went through the bullying and then that gave me a, a more of a perspective on how I was back at my old school. And, you know, um, I wouldn't say I was probably the, the biggest bully, but I would say there was definitely times where I did, you know, treat other kids poorly or, you know, I thought I was better than them, whatever. Um, and even to this day, I know there's kids who would probably, if they listen to this, they would go, oh, yeah, you know, he did bully me. And, and you know, I'd be very, um, I'd be very sad about that, but it's something that's probably true. You know, it's something that you go through and then you have to, have to realize sometimes that you're hurting other people with your actions. And when you go through, when you get hurt, you realize, oh, okay, that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I should change the way I am. And so that definitely happened from, happened for me as a person down there that year. I came back. I ended up coming back actually back to my school at the end of that year because our coach left. He, he, um, from TIS, he left. Yep. So I thought no point being Hobart because I'm not getting the same coaching. I'm just going to have an average coach like coaching me down there. So I moved back for the, for the last term of school down there, back yep. to Leylands. And, and I, I, know, I remember even coming back to Leylands, a few kids weren't happy that I'm, I was coming back. Um, I remember, I remember people going, oh no, like a few, few of my mates told me, oh, a few kids in here talking shit going, oh no, Braden's coming back. Yeah. So I came, came back to school and everyone was, yeah, the, the, the I think the teachers and the, the kids were, were a bit, you know, a bit rattled about me coming back, you know, and, and, and yeah, like I said, I can't, I can't, can't blame them for that, you know, the way I was as a student, the way I was, um, at school, I suppose, even, you know, as a, as a, you know, schoolmate, um, 
wasn't the best. You know, I think I was a bit, bit too arrogant, the class clown, you know, always distracting kids, all of that. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the, the experience of me getting bullied in Hobart kind of shaped that to, to try and try and be better. You know, I think I still didn't lose the kind of the joking around side of me, but I think I scaled it back a bit. And you know, I think yeah. I tried to, I tried to be a little bit better to my teachers and, and to try and focus a bit more. You know, I was, I was, I was always gifted as a student, but just, um, I think if I was a lot more dedicated, I probably would have had a little, little bit more better results, you know, during school, especially in the late years, in the college years, in the, in the high school years. So, um, yeah. but, you know, when I look back on my time at school, I was so grateful for, for, you know, the teachers that I had and how firm they were with me because I think, you know, looking back on it, they were just trying to do their job and, um, you know, they were, they were very good to me. You know, I suppose you learn from that and realise mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I was in the wrong with them. You know, I had many, many discussions with my teachers. I think sometimes they maybe were a little bit unfair on me, but that's only because they had that, I suppose, perception of me from the start that they just kind of, you know, you allow that mentally to get in your head and, you know, maybe I wasn't doing the wrong thing, but yeah. because they know in previous times I was doing it, that they, yeah. you know, then I cop the blame. So that's only really my own fault. Yeah, um, for being the way I was. So that's right, exactly right. So you know, and and, and you know, I'm not going to blame them for that. That's like I said, that's that's that was my my own fault. And so, like I said, I was lucky to have really good teachers. Um, some that I still know, or still would be happy to chat to, and then obviously some that probably <laughs> probably don't like me that much. But, <laughs> but I would be I would be definitely be willing to chat with them and and say, look, I was in the wrong. Um, and I think growing up, you do realize that. But as a kid, like yeah. you say, going through different emotions, going through different things, you know, sport and, and my own focus was sport. That's all I cared about. So I didn't yeah. care about school. I wanted to be a good sportsman. I wanted to go and just dominate and play sport. I didn't yeah. care about school. So I was yeah. like, you know, I, I don't really care what we're doing. In, I'm going to have fun here, as much fun as I can have. Yeah. And, and in the end, you know, like that's, I was wrong. I was yeah. wrong. And I'm, 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 I'm willing to admit I was wrong in the way that I was at school. It's a it's a common story too. I've spoken to a few people that um obviously had um you know great sporting careers and and different careers in different fields and things as well. It's hard to keep that focus as a young person. I think it's hard to expect a young person to to keep that focus if their dream is to be a sports person and they're they're seeing that they're having some success. Because I'd imagine like obviously you know we'll talk about when you did come back to the coast because you did have a, a bit of success again to sort of kept rolling for you. But um, what were your dreams? Were you were you sort of looking at um, getting into the A League or was the A League even around at that time? Yeah. Yeah, the A League was around. It was probably it was pretty fresh, but it was um it, it was definitely there, and that was that was my goal. I wanted to to be a be a professional footballer, and I was actually very disappointed because after when I did come back that year, um obviously we went to nationals. I think it was around October in Coffs yep. Harbour, um, yep. and I, I played played really well over there. I, I was a, I was a third top goal scorer in the nationals. Um, we had we were the best performing Tasmanian team. For I think over like maybe like like fifteen twenty years or something, um, you know we came we came fifth. We beat Vic Metro, who were the big dogs, you know, and we beat them one 0 in the in the fifth fifth place playoff. So yeah, um, that was it was really good. But I was you know obviously disappointed because I didn't I didn't get a call up, didn't get invited to train with you know the Australia, younger Australian squad, and you know and yeah. I thought you know. I thought maybe I'm well. Maybe I'm not going to get that chance. Maybe maybe that's you know I'm just going to have to go back and play at home and, and see what happens. But yeah, 
I didn't keep, the dreams stayed alive for me, but it w- was hard balancing school and sport and all that because I'm you know at at school I would go to school, I'd play soccer during recess, have, you know go back to school, then lunchtime play again, and then after school go home quick quick food, then straight to training. I'd go to training early, get some early practice in, so I'd be training for probably an hour before training, and then go to actual training. So it was. I was busier and I was probably, when I look back on it, you know, I was probably mentally like tired as a kid because, you know, I could physically do it. I was, you know, I had so much energy as a kid, but I think mentally, especially trying to do schoolwork and stuff like that, it just wasn't, wasn't a priority for me. I, I was, I was, um, yeah, I think mentally tired, which made it hard for me to kind of function during school to, to do my work. Yeah. How old were so, you? Man? Uh, at that stage, I was yeah, what fifteen, I think, at the time. Yeah. So pretty, pretty young. But yeah, yeah, it sort of makes it a bit difficult to keep that focus at that age, doesn't it? At the best of times, let alone with having that extra training load and stuff on top. Well, that's right. I mean, like it, 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 it's hard enough, and I suppose as well, you're going through different things in school. You're learning different things, like I suppose in maths and, and stuff like that, even in English or whatever, whatever your subjects are, science. It's all pretty. Um, Pretty yeah bad. I remember one time I didn't have enough time to do my science, um, science essay, and I downloaded one off the internet. And um, <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't real smart because I I wrote like the first paragraph as my own, and then I I was like oh whatever the rest will do. Cut and paste. Um, yeah, and and um, I remember my, my science teacher he said Braden he goes uh. Is this is this your homework? I said, yeah, yeah, it's mine. And he said, oh, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, it's mine. And he goes, I said, I think this is a little bit too high, you know, higher up for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this is something you would see in like a university studies, mate. So I don't think this is yours. And sure yeah, enough, no he, came back, he came back the next day with the, the copy of that, the the link to the article that I got it off. So. <laughs> Busted. And, and, so then, yeah, I remember spending lunchtime writing a whole new essay. But then he said, if you had written this essay the first time, he said, you would have, you know, you would have got a really good mark. And I yep. said, yeah. But that was the way I was as a kid. Like I had, I had the talent to be a good student, but I just, just no time and no, no energy for me to, to do it. It just wasn't, wasn't my priority back then. Yeah. You were just trying to get ahead of the curve, mate. You got found out. That's right. That's right, mate. Just trying to sneak my way through. I thought I might get away with a sneaky one, but I didn't. So, yeah. so just back onto the soccer stuff, mate. So you moved back down to Hobart there, didn't you? And then you sort of bounced back and forward for a little while. Yeah, well, that's right. So yeah, I played through. I think the year after the state team, I played my first couple of years in the in the Alveston senior team, which was a good experience playing senior football. Yep. Um, got my first taste of like winning a golden boot and you know being the top goal scorer and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was which was which was really good. Um, and then yeah, then obviously I moved to to South Hobart in 2011. Um, so yeah, and then obviously the whole the other side of it, you know, I turned turned 18 down in Hobart. So you know, you start going out with your friends, start getting you know, seeing that side of it. You know, the social side where you, um, you hit that age, and so it was all that was a little bit different. You're know, going back down going back down there, living down there and, you know, playing senior football was um was a fun year. But obviously like I broke my foot and that, that hampered me a bit. But, you know, being able to go out and and see this whole new experience of life was actually, you know, at the time was, was pretty pretty cool and, you know, playing sport on the side and, you know, 
even just winning games and heading out with your teammates afterwards was, you know, a new yeah. experience for me. But, you know, something, something, something pretty cool. But, you know, yeah, it's, I remember one <laughs> my birthday, my 18th birthday, I came, so I had my party back in Devonport on the Saturday night, but I went out Friday night in Hobart, had, had my party in Saturday, Saturday night in Devonport. And then drove, got got driven back to to Sunday for a game in Hobart. So bloody hell, that was that was that was hectic. And I remember I had a shocking game too. I had a terrible game. No bloody wonder. Just, yeah, and, and I was like, well, you're only 18 once, so you know, yeah. at least I made the most of it and had a bit of fun. But yeah, probably right. did the wrong thing. But it was a, it was a pretty. Pretty fun weekend. But, yeah. I'm sure you backed up the week after and had a good game, mate. So all would have been forgiven pretty quickly. I'm hoping. Yeah, I think I, I think I did actually. So I was, <laughs> I was pretty lucky. I stayed in the team. I think it would have, probably would have been dropped if I had another big game like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so again, after after that, then you moved back up the coast again, um, back to Alveston, I think. But then you made a move over to Devonport, didn't you? Yeah, so I came back to Alveston for a year in 2012. Had yep. an unbelievable year, like really good year, really successful yep. year with Alveston. Um, and for myself as well, and then yeah, then um, yeah, played for played for Devonport in 2013, which is obviously the start of a state, the new state league. Um, yeah, well, it's MPL Taz now, but it was called Victory League back then. But yeah, yeah, so that was a whole new experience as well, like signing for a rival and and all of that. Like I didn't really want to play for Devonport because I hated them so much, being an Alveston boy. Like we just hated each other, so I didn't want yep. to play for Devonport. But it really was kind of my only option. I remember having a meeting with Chris McKenna and. At his house, and and that really, you know, made me feel a lot more comfortable with the decision. And 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 in the end, you know, Devonport was you know a, a fantastic move for me. And you know, in the end, that now that's like I see Devonport as my home club. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Alveston, it, it was sad. You know, I, I think if Alveston had had a team in the state league, I would have played for Alveston. Like yeah. I would have stayed there, but they didn't have a team. So, and I knew I had to. For me, being competitive, I'm play, I want to play in the top league. I want to be the yeah. only, one of the best players in the top league. I just always had that drive to be the best and, and to be a, a better player. So I knew I couldn't do that at Alveston. And, and they understood that too. But we had, we had a few Alvey boys who, who went over and made the move to Devonport. And you know, I think we, we all were a bit you know nervous about it when we first signed, but you know ended up being a, a really good move for us all. Yep, anyway, we had a really good year the first year. Yeah, and you had a bit of success, didn't you? You made the finals that year, is that right? Or? Yeah, so I mean, we had a pretty probably. I think we, in looking back, we had probably a good enough team to win the league that year, but we just didn't have the understanding of how much travel and stuff like that will be. And I think that kind of affected us first year. You know, you, every second week you go on a Hobart for a four-hour bus ride, so we weren't just weren't used to that at that stage. Yeah. Um, but as well, yeah, we probably underperformed a little bit too. But then we made the final series and, you know, that went to extra time. We could have probably won that in the, in the final, but, um, you know, we were just a bit bit unlucky, a bit unfortunate and things didn't go away. But, you know, South Hobart won that as well and they won the league that year. So, yeah, you know, they deserved it. But it was just, you know, it was a really in, enjoyable and, and successful, I think, first year of, of, of the league. So that year you had like a tough time off the field as well. You said that you went through your first um Big breakup, and that's where yeah. was that was that where um like the depression sort of started to yeah career its ugly head in your life. Yeah, I, I would say so. So obviously, like in in, yeah, in twenty thirteen, um, I, I'd had my first like pretty much long term relationship, and then obviously I broke up in in, in twenty thirteen. Um, 
and then obviously the stuff with my brain happened pretty much around the same time. So yep. that was that was um that was difficult to go through because I think like when you're younger, um obviously looking back on it now, I think, you know, being so upset about a breakup back then was a bit silly, but looking at it from when knowing how I felt then, you know what, I, I thought that relationship was gonna be the one, you know, it was my first big love, you know. I think when you're younger it's so easy to fall in love or so easy to, to fall for someone and think that this like that's who you're gonna be with and all this and you know and you're still you're still growing, you still got all these emotions going through you and then to deal with the breakup and um and losing someone someone you love. You know, I've never been good at that. You know, obviously like when I've lost people who've passed away, it's always been been difficult for me. But even to like yep. to lose someone you love like that and to, to break up, you know, as a younger person, you're not really you don't really talk about it. You don't really talk about how to deal with it. It's not something you learn. You kinda of have to find your own way a bit. Mm. And um I found it very difficult, you know, and like I just I just remember like being there, like and everything around Devonport, everything around home was just reminding me of the relationship and I just couldn't I just didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't know who to talk to or you know, and I felt like everyone kinda of just brushed it off, you know, and because I was so young and they probably you know, like oh whatever, but I just remember being so like heartbroken and lost and I didn't know how to deal with it, you know. Yeah. And just like constantly, you know, being being on my mind. So and then I just thought, oh, I've just got to move. Like, I've just got to go like, move to Hobart and, and, and get away from it. So I ended up ended up doing that. But it was just, yeah, a, a very difficult time um, to kind of move on on from that that stage. And um, yeah, like I said, I think when you're younger, you fall in love and you're not not prepared. It's easy to fall in love, but it's hard to 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 deal with the loss of that. And you're not taught that. You don't learn from mm-hmm. it. It's one of the things in life you kind of can't really learn until you go through it. You know, yeah. Everyone deals with things differently too. Some people can just get over it and just be like, okay, whatever. But then there's some people, I suppose like me, like, well, you know, I can't, like it's just on my mind all the time. I couldn't get over it. Yep. So you, you found that it helped you actually making a clean break and sort of moving moving away and getting a fresh start? Uh, I think I kind of tricked myself by doing that. I don't, I think I kind of ran away from the problem by doing that. And Yep. And like, look for me, like in terms of the soccer stuff going to Hobart and all that, and that, that worked out well. But, um, I think that kind of also, because I was having so much success, I, it kind of made me almost lying to myself going, well, I'm enjoying myself. I'm having so much success on the pitch. When re- in reality, my brain and like my, my mind and like the depression I was getting myself into was just getting, getting worse and worse. And I was just constantly lying to myself going, you know, you know, things are going well, but, you know, in reality, I was just going into a darker and darker place. Um, and, and I just, and I just didn't, didn't realize that at the time. I did, I always thought that I, I was, like depression was a fake thing that I couldn't get it, that I was too strong to get depressed, too strong to, you know, there was, I always thought people who said they were depressed or going through depression was just like, you know, something like mentally wrong with them that they just couldn't deal with them, like their own stuff. But I soon found out that I was wrong. And, yeah. you know, I was very, I was very wrong about that. Um, so yeah, that didn't really, the depression side of it didn't really hit, hit its peak, I suppose, until 2015. But yeah, that, that I think running away definitely, definitely helped me temporarily, but it didn't help me in the long run. Yeah. So you weren't actually addressing it. You were just sort of distracting yourself, you think, were you? Yeah. Well, I think I thought, well, if everything around me in Devonport is reminding me of her or, you know, what I'm, what I'm going through, then, if I can get to somewhere else, then maybe that's gonna, maybe that's gonna make me feel a lot better. And in, in reality, it was, it, it didn't. 
it was just yeah. it was just kind of prolonging what I was going through, and and I, and I never talked to anyone. I didn't really talk. I mean, I talked to my mates about now uh, Mister, well, you know, well, it was hurt or whatever, but I didn't I didn't really go into detail about how I was genuinely feeling. In the world today, mental health is an issue which thankfully more and more people are becoming aware of and comfortable speaking about. When choosing a professional to help you, what kind of service would you be looking for? At Lonvara, when asked to describe Mel Purcell's service, clients described it as real, compassionate, empowering, friendly, welcoming, inner strength building, a positive, safe, supportive environment, and she was described by one source as an absolute legend who enables change with love. Mel offers clinical counselling, hypnotherapy and a professional service which is tailored to the individual. She has a personal approach and makes sure each client's experience is authentic to their needs while also ensuring full confidentiality. Winner of the 2022 Australian Allied Health Awards for Rural and Remote Excellence, you can self-refer or through your GP mental health care plan. Lonvara, believing in you. So 2015 got really bad. Um, that's when I first became public and when I started talking about my depression when I first went to my doctor and yep. and when I first like experienced like antidepressants and, and stuff like that. So in twenty fifteen that's when yeah, twenty fifteen was a tough year. It, it a couple of people made made um made some fake accounts online um just to pretty much abuse me. So I, was, I think there, there was one it was like a it was it was classed as a, a Brady Man appreciation page or something, but it was not it wasn't a fan page, it was more I remember one game, like I came out, I had a really bad game. I think it was, against, it was actually against Devonport. I missed an easy chance in the first half, and we lost, I think, four-one or something. And um, and I came back into my car, and I saw on this page that they said, "Oh, brave man's shit," or "Brave man's hopeless," or some 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 kind of abuse or whatever. And I just remember I was already down, and this is when all this stuff started really hit me, and. I remember like calling my parents and just crying in my car and just going like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to play. I don't want to even be here anymore. Like I'm, I'm done. Like I'm so over all this. Like in that, there was a Twitter page as well that was abusing me. Like, you know, just, just, you know, anonymous people, people like just, just, just doing it just to, just to, for a fun thing to do for themselves, but not realizing the impact that it was actually having on me and what I was going through at the time as well. Like, um, yep. Yeah, I can remember calling my parents and then, um, and obviously, like, the doctor, like, diagnosed me with, like, severe depression and, and then that's when I started going antidepressants and stuff like that, which was a, a tough thing to go through. But, so like I said, I, I'd always thought I was too strong to, to be depressed, too strong to go through anything like that. And then from going, from being, like, the year before, I won, won everything, you know, and like I said, kind of faith, being happy, but, I suppose in their moments I was happy, but then going from being this happy, confident, you know, um, super, you know, flamboyant kind of personality to being someone who literally just didn't even want to be there. I, I just remember just not feeling anything, just being so numb all the time and just, it was just, yeah, it was so scary. And, and so then obviously I came out publicly with that. And the soccer team, my soccer team down there, South Hobart, they were really good with me. Um, they helped me out a bit, but then I continued to play. Like I wasn't sure I'd keep playing, but I just continued to play. And, um, I suppose soccer was a good distraction for me in a way to get away from it, but I just kept playing and playing. And, um, but then I just got, got worse. Like I got worse and worse. And I remember one day I was ready to end it. I 
I genuinely was ready to to kill myself. Um, and I still remember that day. Like I, I, I it's so hard. Like you, you, I've always thought killing yourself is is a weak thing to do. I always thought like it was you just is hurting people. You're hurting hurting your loved ones. But when you're going through them thoughts, you don't think like that. You think they're better off without me. They're better off without me. They're better off. Uh, what what am I contributing to the world? I'm just down all the time. I'm depressed. I've got nothing to live for. I'm so broken. I'm, I'm these people abusing me. I'm, I'm I've I've got nothing to live for. I'm just so so shattered. Like what what what's the point? And I remember thinking that, and I was in my car, and I, and I like I, I genuinely was so so ready to do it just to end my life. And to be honest, the only thing that that really stopped me, like I, I just thought about my my baby nephews at the time; they'd only just been born. And I said, I don't. I just remember thinking, and like I was I was praying to God for something, like just to to give me something to to keep me alive, to keep me going. And I just remember. Um, yeah, thinking of them, and they were just born, and um, and I'd grown up with them, so they were probably only what I think they'd only be, well, yeah, probably a couple of years old at that stage. But I just remember like thinking about them boys, and I said, I don't want them to grow up and maybe the uncle that they, when they grow up, say, oh, that's Uncle Bray, like he, yeah, he killed himself. But I just couldn't, I didn't want to, didn't want to do that. I just want to give myself, just give myself another chance, and that's what. I, just plead to God, just like I give myself another chance. Just, 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 just please, please leave my life in a better direction. Like, please, like, just get me out of this hole that I'm in because I'm, I, I can't do it anymore. Like, I'm, I'm going to end up killing myself. Like, I'm just going to end up dead. And, um, so I got home and I just remember, like, just breaking down, um, in my bedroom, just breaking down. And then I think that was probably, it was a sad moment, hard moment, but it was something that kind of shaped me to go. And I went back to my doctor the next day, and and I think he, well, I talked to him, and we talked about it. And I said maybe I should go back home for a few weeks, um, back to Devonport, and, and so that's what I did. Yeah, I went back to back to Devonport for a few weeks and be around family and just try and you know get something into me, you know, be around good people and and find some comfort. And so I did that and. Then ended up saying, uh, deciding to to move back and and stay 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 back there. But um, yeah, that 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 year was um was was pretty horrible to go through. I think, and and, uh, and like I say, like these people who were making up making up things on like making up pages on social media and abusing me and stuff, they didn't know I was going through any of that. They didn't know it was that close. But I think it just goes to show you got to be pretty careful about what you do or say or, or how or the things that you do and how they can affect people because, you know, I, I don't think they would have known, but like if I did kill myself, you know, that's, that, that's the kind of thing you can drive someone to do just from some small little things that you say or, or do. So, and, and I think cause everyone saw me on the pitch and they saw the way that I played the game, um, very, you know, very confident in myself on the pitch, very, um, in your face kind of player, very like I score a goal, I'll celebrate it, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll you know, do these things. And people have seen that. And, and a lot of people have done this to me in the past. have seen the way that I play sport and gone, well, that's him. That's who he is. When in reality, the person I am playing sport and the person who I am now, like off the pitch, is completely different. And I think if anyone 
if you ask any of my close mates or family, they say the exact same thing. They say, well, you know, he's he's someone who will do anything to win on the pitch. Like he's very confident and, you know, sometimes a bit over the top on the pitch, but off the pitch, he's someone who will do anything for anyone else. You know, and I think some people can't differentiate between what they see on the pitch and what they see off the pitch. They think that that's the person who I am and, and judge me by that. But in reality, they're two, two completely different people. You know, yeah. They talk about white line fever and stuff like that. It's a true thing. You know, once people cross the line of sport, they want to win. You know, that competitive side comes out. But that doesn't necessarily mean – and that's why I've never been someone to judge how, how someone is on the pitch. I've met plenty of people. I thought, gee, he's a bit of an arsehole on the pitch. You know, he's a bit of a I – mean, a bit of a bit of a prick. But then off the pitch, I'll be the first one to go and have a beer with him and say, you know, how, you know, how are you, mate? Good game. You know, or even shake the hand after the game and stuff like that. Whereas I know some yeah. people who haven't – haven't shaken my hand after the game because of how I was on the pitch. Which, yeah. I, and I, look, I, there's definitely been times where I've said things or crossed the line on the pitch where I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of. I've said, said things, you know, that I shouldn't have. But I think those things in that kind of competitive battle side happen. But I've always been first to say sorry about that, or you know, that, you know, you know, it's just you know just things I said on the pitch. You know, but yeah. I've always been the first to apologise for them after the game and say sorry, mate. Whatever, um, and that's not something I'm proud of. Like, you shouldn't do that, but it's just sometimes you get in the heat of the moment where you say things you shouldn't. And um, but I've always been. And when someone says that to me on the pitch, I've always been someone to accept that as well. And and, and being like, okay, it's it's fine, mate. Don't worry about. It. Let's have a beer and you know we'll laugh about it later on. That's that's how it was. But yeah, you just that that 2015 year was was very difficult. Last thing on the on the social media thing, I, I saw a post that you you put on social media that obviously you were aware of the people that had set up this page and, and ironically you'd heard that one of them was now going through their own mental health yeah. issues. And, and I, I just, I just take me out off to you, mate, because I just found it so remarkable, just your take on it, that you, you held no malice towards them and you sort of wished them all the best and that sort of thing. Just, can you just explain to me your feelings towards them and, and, and I don't know, just the strength that it must take to, to have that attitude because someone's default reaction to someone who did that to them would be hate and you'd wish them, you know, you'd wish the, you'd wish anger on them and you'd wish, you know, awful things to them and that, but you were, your take was completely yeah. different. And I, I just find that unbelievable. Can you just talk us through that? Yeah. I mean, look, like I've said, like I say to you, like the, I've made mistakes. I've, I've done stupid things. I've said things and, you know, like I said, I've bullied people in, in school and stuff like that. And, but, but I think, like I said, you don't understand what someone's going through until you've gone through it yourself a bit. Um, and obviously this person, they're going through their own battles. Um, and you know, I, I only want what's, what's best for them too. You know, I don't want to see them struggling like I did either. You know, I, I don't hold hate or, 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 or any malice against anyone. You know, I think just because someone does you wrong doesn't mean you have to, to hold any anger. And I think if holding anger and wishing the worst for someone, you're only really hurting yourself by doing that anyway because you keep all that stuff vented up inside you. You can't let go of it. Obviously, what they did, I think, you know, they'd probably be the first to admit like doing stuff like that is wrong. And especially now going through what they're going through. But um, all I hope is that they, they learn from that a little bit and go on, well, you know, maybe what I did was wrong and maybe... Maybe, you know, now that, that they're going through their own kind of battles with the mental health, that they, they kind of realise that, 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 you know, the way you treat people and the way that you, some things happen that can really affect your own mental health and can, can, um, 
can really yeah, put them into a into a dark spot. But yeah, like I said, I, I, I've got no no um, no hate or no malice. You know, I just want what's best for for everyone. You know, I'm I'm always open to forgive someone. I, I, like I said, even like I am on the pitch, I'd be the first to go and have a beer with the person and 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 chat about it and say, you know, how are you and you know and talk about you know the things that that went on because I think that's the best way to heal your own heart and, and to. And to, to, to get, you can, that's where you think you find understanding. You can, can, a lot more knowledge and learning is, is by doing that with other people and to, to hear their story and to hear why or maybe what they thought. And, and you know, you come to that kind of conclusion. But yeah, I've, I, I've got no hate. I think it's just, it, you know, especially when we're younger. Like I said, you know, when we're younger, you know, people make mistakes. People, people do things that, um, probably aren't right and, and they're a bit silly but when you learn from it and like I said I'm very lucky that I've, I've learned from a lot of my mistakes but um, you got to make mistakes to learn from them so you know that's 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 the thing. So you said around that time obviously you, you had your, your depression to deal with and working your way through that and being diagnosed but you also found out that you had certain um, brain issue around that time as well can you just explain to people um, what the issue was there? Yeah, so I think it was late 2013 or uh, maybe early 2014 actually. I um yeah went to the went to the hospital with really bad migraines. I remember I was playing golf that day. We had a work golf day and came back home and these migraines were just horrific. And I said I rang mum and I said, "Oh look, these I've got bad migraines. So you reckon I should go to the hospital?" And she goes, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take it." So really bad. I never really had bad migraines before, so. Went to hospital over in Burnie and, um, yeah, <laughs> doc says, oh, we think it's sinusitis, but we'll just give you a CT scan just to be sure. So went and had a CT scan and came back from the CT scan and doc comes back and goes, oh, you've got really bad sinusitis, but did you know you've got a really weird brain? And I, and I said, no, like, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I was pretty rattled and he's like, um, uh, you've actually got part of your brain missing. And at that moment, what kind of jaw kind of dropped a bit? And like, what do you mean? I've got part, part of my, yeah, what what do you mean? Like, what, what's going on? He goes, oh, look, I'm not sure. Um, you've got part of your brain missing, but not sure exactly what's going on, uh, but what's what's happening. But he goes, oh, you're gonna have to see like a specialist. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And um, so then I've gone to the gone to the the neurosurgeon down in down in Hobart. Um, and had, had a little interview with him, but he he said, "Oh, there was there was a syndrome called Danny Walker syndrome," and he said it could be that, um, which is part of the cerebellum that's missing, um, which is what's what's actually wrong. I'm actually part of the cerebellum missing, but um, he said, "I don't think it is because of your the way you are." He said, "I reckon it's just part of the brain's." Um, you're born without it, and it's like, yeah, it's hard hard thing to describe. But pretty much what's happened is part of the brain's missing, and it's filled up with a cyst. So there's a cyst in the back of my brain. But yeah, I was born without it. So yeah, I found out when I was 20, which is a bit of a shock. But then yeah, went to see the neurosurgeon. I've been to a few neurosurgeons here in Melbourne actually to to see, but they all say the same thing. They seem to think that it's it's pretty. Um, stable so but if i have troubles like really obviously if i start like having fainting or whatever then i've got to go back in and and if it, it i'll probably have to put a stent in if if it's caused by, by my brain but yeah 
it's so just so weird because the cerebellum is pretty much like your motor function and your skills. So I've got part of yeah. a fair big, yeah, just a whole big empty space in the back of it. So, but yeah. a lot of people said that explains a lot too, which is probably pretty fair as well. That <laughs> I'm missing I'll, part of my brain. But. You, it's probably one of those things, mate. Like you've achieved so much, you say that it affects you, your motor skills. Like probably in the back of your mind, you know, pardon the pun, you're probably thinking like, what could I, what could I have achieved if I actually had that part? Jeez, you that, 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 Superman. That's what I said. That's what I said. I said, geez, imagine if I had a full brain, I might have been unbelievable. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe so, I would have been worse. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> And the irony of around that time, you talk about 2015 being the, the hardest time of your life, but you actually had A-League scouts looking at you at that time, didn't you? Is that that's yeah, around that time? So, yeah. In, in, so I had a, obviously I had a really good 2014. So I yep. won the league best. That was my first league best and fairest. Won the Golden Boot. And I was with South Hobart in the team that just won everything. Like a really, probably one of the best Tasmanian teams, to be honest. Yep. But yeah, so after that season, but the problem was like, I just needed a break. I was like mentally after that season, it was pretty um, burnt out. And obviously, like I said, I'd been putting, like trying to put this depression stuff at the back of my mind, trying to escape it. So like when I got to the end of the season, I just wanted a break. So uh, I think our family went to Bali for a, um, for a holiday, which was good. Like I enjoyed myself, but, you know, just, just pinged out, got on beers, you know, just, just, just made the most of the holiday. But yeah. In reality, I came back. I was late to pre-season. Was playing catch up after that. Was not very committed in pre-season. I was pretty. You know, I was playing cricket at the time a little bit down in Hobart. Um, so I just wasn't committed. And then, and then Ken, our coach, said to me before pre-season game, he goes, "Oh, you know, one of the one of the A League coaches, and I think it was Newcastle coach at the time, he's he's here watching." But I was unfit. I was not in any any good shape. So I, like I didn't play well, and then. And then I remember having a chat with Ken, the boss, and, and saying, he's saying, well, you know, you've probably cost yourself by not being in shape. And, and I was like, yeah, well, I know, but I had, to, I had to have a holiday. Like, I had to get away for a bit. You know, I think he didn't know how bad I was at the stage either about me- mentally and stuff like that. So, but, yeah, it just didn't, didn't work out for me. But, um, you know, there's... It's a very fine line anyway between making it an A-League or whatever. You have to have a lot of things go right. I think if I had made the move to Victoria earlier, maybe maybe I could have could have played in the A-League, but it's, it's, it's very hard. So it's very um, – you need a lot of things to go right for you. Not, you can't, can't get injured. You can't, you know, you've got to be in the right place, right time, have the right person looking at you. And mm. Unfortunately, when I had someone looking at me, actually I've had a look a couple of times. One when I was a little bit younger playing for um, – the northern representative side because we played a curtain raise before the A League, so I was, I was sixteen at the time then. But yeah, both times I didn't play re- very well. I didn't you know, I didn't you know play the house down and, and and really grab a contract for myself. So um, so yeah, it's just you know, make your own luck a bit, and if you don't get it, you don't get it. But yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that was kind of cool to know someone was watching, but it's yeah, it just. Didn't work out for me in terms of playing the A League, but I, I don't really regret it too much. You know, I've had a pretty successful career. It's just yeah. didn't, never just never got that notch on my belt to say that I've played A League. Yeah, and it's funny too, like you like you say, sometimes you've got to do what's best for you at the time. Like, had you have not had that trip away, obviously you knew yourself that you needed a break because you'd had a had a hell of a year. If you had a you know kept training, and even if you had a made the A League, like 
mentally it might have fried you as well. Like you, you know, doing what you had yeah. to do for yourself at the time might have actually saved you. And it, you know, it sounds dramatic, but it could have even saved your life at the time, couldn't it? Doing that sort of thing. Well, that, well, that's right. I mean, I, I'm I, when you think about it, if I had moved into state playing A League, I mean, the next year, 2015, was the hardest year of my life. So if I had a well, I had of you know been playing the A League in that stage away from my family or whatever, you know who knows what kind of you know what, what could have what could have turned or whatever. So yeah, I think everything in 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 the end works out for itself. Like I said, you know I think there's been a couple of times in my life where you know fate or whatever God's plan has kind of you know worked out for me in in that way. But yeah, I, yeah. I think it's um, like yeah, I think. The world works like that, but you also yeah. make your own uh, own way as well in a lot of things that you do. So, I, I always think you, you, especially now, going after being through what I've been through, I think you can always um, always turn your life around. You've always got an opportunity to change and, and make something for yourself, whether in, in any anything, whether it's a job or, or whatever. I think you can always it's not, never too late to turn things around. So, yeah, um, it's something I've learned. Yeah, I always think it's a balance. You know, this might sound a bit sort of, you know, airy fairy as well, but I, I believe like the universe will put doors or will put decisions in front of you. It's still up to you to take them, or it's up to you to walk through that door or to choose that door. But I just feel like opportunities will be put in front. Of you. I don't think anything just happens by accident to people. I think they control that still, but you know, the the, the options will be put in front of you to take at some stage. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you've you've always. If you want things, you know, you're going to get an opportunity there, but you've just got to take them when they come. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think you, you you definitely get chances to do. Like I said, I've done a lot of stuff with, with football. Like, oh, if I tried to have been told I would do the things I did, I went to England for a little bit and played there. Um, and, you know, things like that is like coming back here, what I've achieved with the teams, been in, you know, successful Tasmanian, some of the greatest Tasmanian teams ever and the most yep. successful, you know, to be a part of that, um, you know, that's something that's, that's pretty incredible for me. Uh, to be, you know, to be seen as, as one of the one of the better players in Tasmania for a long time was, you know, is something something pretty special. And, um, yep. Yeah, but even outside of the pitch too, you know, I've got a good job. Um, I've moved over over interstate to, to Victoria, which was something I always wanted to do and play over here and test myself and got to do that. And, um, yeah, I, like I, 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 I would see it as a success. You know, I'm still very wary of things that go on outside of the pitch, you know, things that you can't control, it go on. But you just, I think when, as you get older and, so, and as you go through a lot more things, you, um, you have to deal with them. I mean, when, I, when I came back with my depression, when I came back to Denport, I've got a psychologist, um, in Denport through uh, Headspace, yeah, and and she was incredible. She was like it was, you know. I think some psychologists sometimes you go in there and they almost make you feel worse sometimes with what sometimes what they say. But she was more like a, a real friend to me almost, and I could chat with her about anything without any any judgment. I found that really helped having someone to just talk openly with about things that you probably wouldn't talk about with anyone else, but just yep. like in a real friendly environment. But everyone's different. Every each person has their own different ways. Of, of dealing with things but it was just um, yeah I'd say I've just got a lot more understanding and I know when them kind of triggers or warnings are there that my, my mental health struggling a little bit and I just, just deal with it so yeah This episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design 
If you're like me and normally need to get these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam Malone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. Located at 6 Bay Drive, Coiba, come in and have a browse of their colour selection studio or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can contact Sam on 0429 291 008 or email sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fierce dressing down from the better half. So you, you spoke about there before moving back. How important was your family support? Was that like a big key in your recovery actually having good people around you that you trust and love and care for you yeah it was it was good but i, I remember when i first moved back i was not in in, in a great state like I, yep. I remember you know i i'd go buy a carton of beer and just sit on the couch and play playstation and just drink beers all day and like just was I, that, I, that's all i would do like how i would deal with it i just didn't want to be in any kind of like conversation or talk about it. i just would drink yep. Constantly beer, drinking beers and, and 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 just staying away from kind of everyone. But I think I they definitely were incredible for me, my family. Like in terms yeah. of like get me get me back to to where I was. I didn't have a job, didn't have anything, and then you know slowly started to build my mental health. Like I said, with my psychologist and and um, started to put things in place. And it was definitely bad times in there as well, but um, yeah, they 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 were, they were huge supports for me, and and yeah. just yeah. I just found that like they're just doing things to them and just having some fun back home was kind of just just what I needed to kind of like kick out of that you know depression state a little bit and and just gradually progress and then started getting like a job and then getting into work and then found you know found a job that I really liked and then just kept and then you know things start rolling for you a little bit and you just get in a, get a bit of momentum and and then things start to to work out differently so yeah. Can I ask, yeah, did your family just... know, like, how bad your mental health was, like, particularly when you were down in Hobart? Like, did you talk to them about that you'd, you know, considered suicide and you were that, that low? Did they know that? They definitely, I didn't tell them that 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 day or that night, but I, um, and they definitely knew when I was moving back that I was, yeah, it was pretty bad and that I was pretty, pretty close to that state, but... It is hard, especially when you're going through depression. I know, like, I know a lot of people, it's hard for people to understand because they don't, especially if they haven't been through it, they don't really understand what you're going through. So I remember when I first started talking about it and being very open, one of my better friends, he said, oh, if you're that depressed, he said, you wouldn't be talking about it so much. And I just remember that really hurt, like really broke me because I was like, geez, like I'm, I'm trying to be open with it from, like, to help me and to help others, yeah. like to understand it. But I'm not trying, I'm not doing it to, for a show or anything, for people to feel sorry for me, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it so they can have help that I didn't. You know, I wish more people were open with when I first was going through it, so I could feel like I wasn't the only one. You know, I felt like there was other people supporting me. Yeah, and and I don't blame like my mate for being like that because I was probably, like I said, I was a bit like that when before I before I had depression. I thought it was a bit of a myth, bit of a you know, it didn't really wasn't really anything. I thought it was more like a mental issue with someone, and that, that depression wasn't even a real thing. Then when you go through it, you kind of understand. It was a little bit like that with my family. I don't think they really, really understood. Um, a little bit, like they, they, they supported me. They, they tried their best. It wasn't like they, they, they um, doubted it or judged it. It was more that they just probably just didn't know exactly how bad it was or how, 
how much I was actually really going through. So it was um, it is difficult when people can't really understand how you're feeling about it. And you're trying to tell them or trying to show them how bad it is, but it's just it's it's a difficult thing. You just kind of feel that's why you get that kind of um, empty and numb kind of feeling because you can't really tell them the exact state of like, what you're feeling. And then yeah. I think sometimes it's easy. Like a lot of people say speak up and stuff, but to speak up, you've got to feel comfortable enough to speak up in the first place. You've got to feel that, you know, you've got to have feel like you're supported and feel like you can unleash anything on anyone. And I think a lot of people with depression really struggle to find that kind of trust and that kind of, um, I suppose, being able to have them difficult and honest conversations with people because you've got that in your mind that you can't cope, like you can't, you don't have that feeling anymore. And so it's hard for you to kind of express it to anyone. Like you just sort of, and that's why I found my psychologist was so good because when I went in there, it was more just like having a discussion with a mate and I was just chatting honestly and could get everything off my mind that I was talking about without any fear of any kind of judgment. Whereas I think sometimes even with your best mates, you think, oh, what if they're talking about this? Or what if they, or what if they think of me differently if I tell them this or this is how I'm feeling? You know, what if they can't relate to me? And you do have them doubt sometimes. So it's very, it's easy to say that people speak up and talk to you, which is great. I love that. And it's great, a great thing. But it's also a very difficult thing to be able to get yourself to speak to people in the first place. Yeah. So, so your advice in that stage would be to find someone that you do feel safe talking to and somebody that you trust and, and you know, to, 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 to get it out there, you can't just talk to anyone. You've got to try and find, you know, a person that you're comfortable with. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like I said, like I, I was pretty, after a while, when after I got diagnosed, I was pretty open with it a little bit and wanted to kind of discuss how I was feeling to try and help other people to get to that stage. Um, but like I said, other people probably portrayed that as me um, trying to look for sympathy or, or whatever. But that's the thing, when you, when you be honest and when you be open, people are sometimes might take it in the wrong way and, and use it against you. So I just encourage people, if they see someone who's, who's willing to talk about depression or willing to be open about it, not to judge or not to criticise or talk about them behind their back about it, but more just to, to send a message and just say, you know, good on you for speaking up or, or whatever because I know a lot of people did that when I did and that just gave me so much more encouragement. You know, you know I'm doing the right thing by talking about it because it's helping them. And that I had so many people would message me and just say, you know, well, like, you know, I'm going through some stuff, you know, thanks. Even... No, even this last week, I've had a had a mate of mine who messaged me and said, "Oh, I really struggled with my mental health." So obviously, the more open you are, the more other people trust you as well. I suppose to to find find some um, comfort in you knowing that I've been through it, and I'm always more than willing to help help someone and and talk to them if they've been in if they're feeling like that because I know how yeah. difficult it is to do that and how and I've been through that. So it's um. Yeah, so I think it's just important we all get around each other. And, you know, I think there's so much, especially on social media and stuff, there's all this, you know, you want attention, you want you want people to, you know, like your photos, all this, the status, which is cool, that's fine, that's social media. But as well, there's that some really real things that, you know, you could use it for and to, 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 to talk to people. And when you see people struggling, you know, I think it's so important to go out and even if you just keep an eye on their post, you see you can kind of tell sometimes if someone's getting a little bit flat because you can see what kind of things they share or the things they see. Instead of just flicking past, just send them a message, say, Oh, how are you? you know, or you know, um, hope you're doing all right. Just little things like that can change someone's whole day or change their perception and, yeah. and I think 
you don't realise just this tiny like, tiny little sentence just asking how someone or just say they're doing awesome or you know you think they're awesome or whatever. Yeah, just absolutely change their whole 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 out, outlook on life just for that whole just for that one day, and that might be yeah. enough to to save them or or to kickstart them into a to a better life. Just that mm. little bit of support. Yeah, there's a good opportunity there to reach out. A lot of people, you know, think stuff about people and appreciate people, but they might not actually show them or tell them. So, you know, it's you've got to, yeah, you've got to really hit them up, don't you? Yeah, and that, and that's what I encourage. Like, look, it's I know it's hard sometimes. You might feel stupid trying like sending someone a, a message of encouragement or whatever. It is hard, but like, I think there's just so much good in that, and there's so much. Yeah, even someone you haven't caught up with for a while, just say, you know, how I am, mate, miss catching up with you. So the, the, that can that can just do so much um, for that person, and even for yourself. You know, you start kickstarting a conversation with someone you haven't met up with, or whatever, or some someone that you love, and then all of a sudden you're having a good conversation with them and you're talking about real things, and it just you know kickstarts that conversation. So yeah. Um, and even like you know, giving someone a call or you know whatever it is, whatever you, the way you want to do it. But I think it's just important. I think with social media sometimes because we see so much of everyone and everyone sharing a lot of the stuff, you see them in that you know that that social media world. So you think, oh, you know, you're seeing them, but you're not actually engaging with them. You're not mm. actually like you know, um, you're sharing what you're doing, but and everyone's seeing what you're doing, but no one's really talking about what you're doing. So it's yeah. not like you know what I mean. So it's it's yeah. more times um, have changed definitely. Yeah, has definitely changed the way that we kind of communicate. But I think you can still use like that social media side for for good and to 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 make genuine connections and, and just like I said, just to change someone's day. Even in, yeah. even today, I'd encourage someone if they, if they listen to podcasts, just message someone, just. Just tell them, just send them something and just say you're a legend or whatever like that and see what happens for it. Because I guarantee most of the time, more good will come from it. There'll be no yeah. bad. Yeah, there can't be there'll a negative be a of, that comes from yeah. it. There'll be a lot of good that comes from just sending someone a message like that. And if everyone just did that, you know, it'd be such a better place for, for all of us. Absolutely. Now, mate, there'll be a lot of people listening to this. Um, obviously, we'll, we, we base it, you know, on northwest coasters. So there'll be a lot of, um, you know, Devonport people listening and, um, you know, particularly involved with, with the strikers. So, you know, it'd be remiss of us yeah. to not talk about your time when you yeah. did come back because even though, you know, you were going through some tough times, you had a hell of a lot of success, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, I think that period from 2016 to 2018 was probably like the most the most fun and the, the, the most success and most enjoyable time of uh, probably my career really is just the, the boys that I played with and the, the, you know, the connections we made and, and just like the history that we made too, the things we got to do, you know, massive um, FFA Cup games at Valley Road and getting to play away um, in Melbourne in 2018 and going on trips like with all our supporters and being in a, in a Melbourne bar till 4am in the morning celebrating with everyone was just like, you know, on a Wednesday or whatever, Wednesday yeah. or Thursday night, just trying there. Like, I think even our players were running the bar at one stage. So, <laughs> and, um, nah, like we, we, we had so many amazing memories. You know, the first, first Tasmanian team to win an FFA Cup game, um, you know, first Tasmanian team to win an away FFA Cup game, for, you know, just like, some of the coaches, you know, the supporters, the people at the, you know, that's why they're so successful. You know, the, the, that club, they do things the right way. Um, and they've got good people there. And that's why they're, they're, they're so successful. They're just, um, yeah, like I, it's, it, it, probably one of the, the main things I miss about 
about Tassie is playing playing for Devonport just because of the you know the whole my whole the whole vibe and the the people that I that I love there and the you know the supporters and everything it's just it, just, a, just a great club. Yeah, and look, I'll put put my hand up with the first one to admit that I'm not a avid soccer supporter, but I did, yeah. you know, being a it is fickle sometimes sport. I did jump on the bandwagon there, you know, during the FA Cup days because I thought, how bloody good yeah. is this? Because I didn't realise that you could play against interstate clubs and and things like that. And I thought, geez, you know, from our little little patch down here, like, how good is it that these blokes are, you know, on the on the national stage, really, aren't you? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, being on being on the national stage, you know, it was always something we strive for too. You know, obviously, I got to experience it with South Hobart, where we lost both games. But being on a winning team um, in Devonport at home, like, and you know, I just remember, I don't think I slept. I think I was, at, I think I slept <laughs> at the club. I think I laid on a couch at like six a.m. because we just yep. were so like just being the first team to, to make history and just. Yeah, just celebrate through the night with all the supporters and stuff. But even just the other stuff too, like winning leagues and winning golden boots there. Obviously, 2018 was probably, my, for me personally, my best year as a, as a, as a player. Um, and to captain the team as well was something that I took, a, took massive pride in. So it was, a, yeah. I suppose, a real learning curve for my leadership ability. You know, going from like my first captain role in 2016 and just progressing through the 2018 as a captain was, um, was something that I really cherished and, you know, just... Um, yeah, I think I definitely got better at it too. Yeah. So obviously, 2017, we had a younger team and um, a lot more younger boys. So that was fun. But like, obviously, we didn't have as much success that year. But it was a real, a real foundation for the year after, which was 2018, our best year. So um, yeah, 20, 27, 2017 was a lot of younger players, newer players, and just getting around them and and trying to relate to them because obviously with younger players, they're very inconsistent with the way they train and play. They can't really be always consistent. So you can't get too negative about it. You just have to continually push them um, to have fun and, and to do, and to, to constantly give them things of advice and, and some wisdom you know, about playing the senior level. And, and, you know, I think it was a really rewarding year. And like I said, set us up for a, a big 2018 when we got some more players back. Yeah. So on to, you know, the current day, mates. Obviously, we're talking to you now from Victoria. So talk to us about your, your move to Victoria and how things have gone over there. Yeah, so at the end of 2018, Dan City contacted me and, and said they, they wanted me to to come over. And, and I, I thought about it and I just thought, you know, I've achieved quite a bit in Tassie. Like maybe it's time for a change. And especially after the year that we had, I thought maybe best best time to move, you know, you know after I've just achieved... Uh, we've had a had a great year, and I've had some good personal success. So I moved to Danong City, moved over to Hobart. Oh, sorry, to Melbourne, and uh, in an October, uh, November that year. And um, yeah, then pre-season was pretty good. We um, yeah, different environment, much more professional, much more like it's it, it a lot tougher. A lot of good players, a lot of former A League players. So the you know the intensity and the attitudes was a lot higher than what I was used to. So that was something that I had to quickly adapt to. Otherwise, I was going to get found out. So, um, And then played the first few games in the season, but unfortunately, I woke up. Well, I'd had a bit of trouble before that with my back, but I didn't think too much of it. But then, yeah, woke up one Friday morning and could hardly move. So I had to go to hospital for, for back surgery. And um, so that was a tough thing to deal with, I suppose, moving straight over. And then, you know, my first season over here, then have to go back surgery. And then, then after that, COVID happened the year after. Mm. And then, and then the year after again. So then it was just, yeah, a bit of, bit of, um, bad luck 
and then ended up moving to where I am now, down on Thunder, and had a really good year last year. Yeah, and just talk about the COVID time. So that was hard for you to deal with as well, wasn't it? Obviously being isolated, not being able to contact family and talk to them, it did sort of put you, set you backwards a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, immensely. I think COVID, the whole um, COVID and lockdown, especially over here when we had such tough restrictions here, it was was so hard, you know. Um, I had no family and no real friends either to kind of like, to kind of like lean on to be on live to catch up with. So, um, you know, I had my housemate who was a legend and had you know, my partner at the time, and it was it was good, you know, like in that way that they, they kind of support. But the the rest of it was just so hard to go through. No football, no family. Can't get back to Tassie to see them. Like just, and I remember I, my sister had just had. I had the birth of my baby nephew, so I couldn't see him either. And like, and I just just felt like I was missing out. Like, and I see seen pictures of them, and they're like, Tassie's not locked down. Tassie's doing whatever they want, and I'm yeah. stuck in Melbourne doing nothing at home. Like, just just an awful thing to go through, really. I, I, I had to really, um, I suppose, be strong in my mental health to try and get through that because it was would be so easy just to get back to my stage of being like. Um, you know, depressed and down about all of the stuff that was going on. But I just, yeah, I tried as much as I could to, I suppose, to, to do whatever I could at home to, to get through that. A lot of Netflix, a lot of walking, a lot of, a lot of activity, you know, just to, just to get things ticking over and try and get through the, the difficult period. I mean, I was lucky in a sense that I got to continue working through the majority of COVID. Yep. So I was pretty lucky in that way. Some people didn't. Um, so that was a good outlet for me just to get to work and get out of the house and, and do something. But apart from that, yeah, it was, it was pretty horrific to, to go through it. But I just remember it being such a good moment to come when I finally got to come back to Tassie and, and see my family and hug them. And yeah, it was, um, was worth the wait. But. Yep. So mate, obviously you're bung hip aside at the moment. How's life these days going for you? It's pretty, um, yeah, pretty, pretty good. I, I'm in a pretty good space. You know, things are, Things are well. I'm just, yeah, I suppose looking forward to getting into this rehab with my hip and, and getting back stronger, but obviously looking forward to getting back to work as well. And Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously, like, I probably will take this year off to get my hip right. Um, it'd be pretty hard for me to get back this season because usually um, with this with this uh, surgery, it takes about six months to be able to get back to playing sport, but because I play soccer, so the hip's more active, it's probably going to be more like nine months for me. So just going to get it strong, try and get, you know, get in the gym as soon as I can, um, get, build up some strength in there and, and, um, and try and get fitter and stronger and hopefully come back for a, for a, for a big, uh, 2024. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just be probably watching from the sidelines this year. And but yeah, it's kind of not nice though. Obviously I'd rather be playing, but it's going to be different with it having a year off. Um, yeah. and not, not like the COVID years, but being able to actually get out and to do stuff away from football. And yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bombers member. So at least I'll be able to go watch most of the Bombers games now as well without being conflicted with, with football. So I'll be yeah. able to go. I'm just hoping for a bit of more success for my team this year. Surely they're going to turn the corner, mate. Surely this will be That's the it. year. If, if, surely this year we win the final. I'm hoping so anyway, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, life's good. And I just trying to keep myself, you know, ticking over here and but staying as positive as I can be. Obviously, having surgery and being injured is a bit of a bummer, but um, I think I'm in a really good headspace at the moment, just trying to 
to enjoy my life and um, enjoy, you know, being being able to, you know, be myself and and have some time off. It's probably um, not a bad thing, but you know, I'm looking forward to getting back stronger. That's you know, I'm, I'm focused on doing that. You know, coming back yep. and and I want to be playing over here for a, for a few more years yet. So. Yeah, I just want to get back and be strong, and you know, if I can come back from this this surgery and and still play at a higher level, I think that'll be a real um, a real something to be really proud of. So that's the focus, just getting back stronger and 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 getting myself, you know, fit and ready for twenty twenty four. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it's good. Excellent. And with the with the mental health at the moment, like you're obviously in a pretty good space. What do you find's working for you at the moment? And and the next part of that question is what what um what advice would you give to anyone else that's sort of going through it? If you could give them one piece of advice, what would you be telling them to do, anyone that's got a mental health issue at the moment? Well, I think it's just to, to not stress and not worry too much when you do um, do get a little bit emotional and get, get down. I think, you know, I still go through their moments and I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a normal human reaction to be like that, you know, and I think you shouldn't, should never, you know, be down on yourself, be, be, be mad at yourself for feeling a certain way. Um, it's just, just normal reactions. But I think it's the way that you cope with it afterwards and the way that you, you let yourself think about it and the way you let yourself deal with it is going to be key to, to, to you know, your mental head, head space after that. So I think, you know, when I'm, when I'm feeling flat or when I'm feeling down, I think it's, it's good to, um, to one, chat about it or, to, to not even chat about it, but just to have conversations with people, just go and chat with people, meet up with them, go and hang out with your mates or whatever. Even just being around them, just doing something is like you don't necessarily have to talk about how you're feeling, but you just to just to be around, get out and, and do something is always good. Yeah. Um, but I also find just yeah, just keeping you keeping your brain active. I mean, you know, it's not if you overthink things and keep thinking about it and allow that to be the constant thought in your head of what you're going through. I think you just dig yourself a hole into that until you can't get out of it. That's all you think about. You just let yourself um, kind of sit in that hole and there's no escape after that. You just, you're really dark and, and, and you feel so alone because you've allowed yourself to kind of fall into the trap of, of thinking about that. But yeah, I think you surround yourself with good people. And I, and I would encourage you, if you feel like it's getting too much, then I think if you feel like you can't talk to your friends or your family, I think seeing someone, everyone kind of sees, I think, a lot of people see seeing a psychologist or seeing someone to talk to as a bit of a weird thing or a bit of a, oh, I don't know how that would go. And I was a bit the same. But when I did, and if you find a, find one that's good for you, um, it can be really beneficial and really helpful. You know, it can give you some really good tips on how to deal with your mental health. And um, and, and like I said, like my first psychologist probably wasn't the right fit for me. So if you find someone who's not, right for you or if you chat someone even if you chat to one of your mates who you feel is probably not understanding you don't get disheartened by that but find someone who you can talk to and someone who you feel really relates to you and that's sometimes not the closest people that you are to they're not your best mates just someone that can 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 relate to what you're going through is always always a handy thing to to have and um and sometimes it's easier if it's not someone that you're really close with because someone neutral you know yeah, you can kind of, kind of really unload on them without you know them knowing too much about your whole story or you know what's going on. You can just still kind of just chat to them. So, and yeah, I think like I said, just no, don't panic, don't don't stress about um, you know things that probably you don't need to stress about. I think like I said, the world has a funny way of working out for you. So there's always going to be a, a way 
to turn things around. Um, yeah. and, and to keep pushing forward, you know, it, days get tough sometimes and everyone goes through it and some more than others. You know, you go through a rough month or year or, or whatever it is. Um, but that's not the story of life. You know, you can't let that one year dictate your whole life. You can, you can change things. You can turn things around for the better. And, 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 and sometimes like you can turn your negative things into a positive. And that's what I've tried to do. Try to turn my, my own battles into something I can talk to about and, and, and chat with people about and, and, and maybe give them a bit of hope and, and, a, and a bit of positivity. Cause you know, it does turn around. You just gotta, you just gotta fight for it a little bit and, and get through them tough times. But if you can get through them and turn around, it, it just feels so rewarding. You, and I, you know, looking back on my, the, my 2015 self, you know, I'm so proud that that guy decided not to give up on life and to give it another crack. Cause now yeah. where I'm at now, I'm so happy. And, you know, if I had have, had have ended everything, you know, I just can't imagine, you know, how much hurt a lot of my mates and my family would still be in because of that. And, you know, so, um, and, and how happy that I've become and how much stronger I've become in myself. Um, you know, I'm pretty proud of that. So I think people can really find some comfort in that and know that, you know, you might not like the way you are at the moment or what you're going through or your life, but it, you can turn around to a point where you, you really do actually, you know, find some love for yourself. And I think that's key. you got to love yourself. You got It's important to love others, of course. You have to be there for others and love them, but you've got to find a lot of love for yourself. If you don't love yourself, it's very difficult to, to love anything about life or about about other people as well so yeah gotta find some love for yourself and especially on valentine's day so <laughs> <laughs> buy yourself a box of chocolates that's it buy myself some flowers and a box of chocolates <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, love. Good. that's good advice mate yeah we need need to feel the love i couldn't have said it any any better myself so we'll probably leave people with that mate that's um pretty much all the all the information i can drain from you for for today but um it's been absolutely fantastic, mate. Like, like I said, I've, I've, I've had you on my list for a long time and I just had to get through a few to, to get to you because I knew a little bit about your story. And I, I, I personally, I think it's been a, a fantastic chat. And I think you, you couldn't have said it any better yourself, you know, when you said back there before with people, it's, it's, it's not what you see on the outside that's, that's always the case. Sometimes people are, are going through things behind the scenes. So I think we need to be, you know, mindful of that as, as people and, and as a society and, and just, you know, for you personally, I think, you know, you said it there before, you know, you're very proud of yourself for getting through that time and, and you should be. And, and for coming from somebody who's who's never had depression and never been in that dark hole, um, I can't imagine the strength that it actually takes to push through your days when it is like that. So I'm actually in awe of people. I know that it's hard to, to tell someone who has depression at the time that, you know, they're actually an inspiration to people because they're pushing through absolute shit and and not wanting to get up yeah. and not wanting to live essentially like i think that in itself is you know something that they need to be very proud of that they are pushing forward and hopefully people that are that are doing that can see that there are better days ahead and hopefully people through listening to your story can can see that you know that you you can come out the other side and 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 personally mate like i say for you i, I can't thank you enough for, for telling your story to try and give people a little bit of hope and and a little bit of inspiration and yeah, we um, look forward to seeing how you go, mate, when that, when that hip recovers. That's it, when I get back. But thank you, yeah. mate. Yeah, it's been a good chat and I uh, appreciate you for having me on. It's, um, it's always good to have a chat about these things. And, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, 
yeah, thank you for having me on. It's been been really good to, to chat about a few different things and have a few laughs and a, and a few you know darker darker moments. But that's yeah, it's good to talk about them as well. It's my, probably more important to talk about the darker side than yeah than, than the happier times. But it's um it's been good. And that's it. the that's the journey, isn't it, mate? If there's more laughs and cries, you've had a good journey, haven't you? That's it. Sure, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> stay, stay clear of those limbo yeah. sticks, though, in the meantime. That's it. No limbo, no limbo for me anymore, mate. I'm done. I'm retired. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time and take care. Thank you, mate. You too. Once again, thanks to Braden for coming in and telling his story. And like I said, it's a classic example of uh, what you see on the outside is not always uh, what's actually going on on the inside. I think his message of finding some love for yourself and finding some love for one another is really, really important because, um, yeah, we need to care for each other. You just don't know what uh, what people are going through. So I loved his message about not panicking about your mental health. Um, you know, if you're having a bad day and even a bad year, sometimes that's not going to define you as a person and define your journey moving forward. And, uh, and, and his take on it is that it is a journey um, and you will get through it if you keep going and keep working. So I really like that message and hopefully people can take some inspiration from it. Hopefully in the meantime he stays away from those limbo sticks and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, some more success on the pitch and uh, yeah, really loved his positivity and his messages of things that uh, he's doing to take care of himself off the pitch. So a very inspirational fella. For anyone out there having their own struggles who wants to have a chat to someone, you can call Lifeline on 131114, Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978, or you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636.